Welcome to another thrilling episode on Book TV. But before we dive in, let's talk about enhancing your reading experience with novel nutrition. As you lose yourself in today's story, imagine supporting your journey with our unique supplements, specially crafted for readers like you. Whether it's boosting focus with Epic, unwinding with Read, or energizing with Zip Strips, Novel Nutrition is here to complement each chapter of your literary adventure. Visit novelnutrition.co or click the link in the show notes, and don't forget to use code BOOKTV for an exclusive 20% discount. Now, let's immerse ourselves in the magic of today's story. Chapter 58 Akron's directions took them to a grassy field outside the city, surrounded by a rusted chain-link fence. A metal hangar with a white roof was the only building. A weathered wooden tower with an orange windsock stood at the far end of the field. A large sign next to the gate advertised sightseeing tours and special excursions. It listed a phone number. The helicopter was parked on a concrete pad in front of the hangar. Where the hell did he get that? Nick asked. An Army-Navy surplus store? That bird's gotta be fifty years old, Lamont said. What are you talking about? Selena asked. That's a Huey, Nick said. An old one. You can see where the U.S. markings are painted out. I bet it's left over from Vietnam, Lamont said. Be about right for this guy. It's what he flew over there. The Huey was painted in olive drab and had seen better days. The big side cargo doors were open. A row of seats had been fitted inside for sightseers, but they didn't appear comfortable or like they belonged there. The bird still had the military look. The only things missing were M60s mounted at the doors. Akron came out of the hangar. His cowboy hat was gone. In its place was an olive green radio helmet. He wore faded green fatigues with his name stenciled in black on the breast pocket, combat boots, and aviator-style sunglasses. Nick hadn't seen that style of uniform for years. You sure about this? Lamont said. He looks like he thinks it's 1968. We don't have a choice, Nick said. We need him. Afternoon, Akron said. Nice day for a tour. You really get sightseers? Nick asked, pointing at the sign. Oh, yeah. Not many, but some. Enough to pay for gas. How come they let you run a business here? It's a long story. A couple of people owed me favors. A little grease from the agency didn't hurt either. The Indians know you're an agent? Selena asked. Nope. They think I'm a crazy expat with money. Long as I don't make trouble, they leave me alone. It's a pretty tolerant place here, at least it used to be. That's changing, though. I'm thinking of getting out, going back to the States. Do some hunting and fishing. While they were talking, they drifted over to the helicopter. What did you fly in Vietnam? Nick said. Hueys, just like this. Sharks. Sharks? Selena looked confused. What we called the gunships, Akron said. The transports with dolphins. He patted the side of the craft. She's a good bird. Where are we going? I don't know yet, Nick said. Let me make a call. Harker answered. Great minds, Nick. I was about to call you. You know where we're going yet? Cobra took off ten minutes ago. We're tracking him now. There's only one site in Kashmir, near a place called Pahalgam. Where's Pahalgam? Akron heard him. He said, I know where it is. It's southeast of here. Lots of old temples, health resorts, mountains, and rivers. They keep a half dozen missiles in their launchers in a tunnel complex there, Elizabeth said. It's got to be where he's going. Send the coordinates. On the way, Elizabeth said. Nick's phone chirped. Got it. I talked with Rice. He's going to do what he can, but I don't think it will be in time to help. Any rules of engagement? Just stop him, Elizabeth said, however you can. She disconnected. Nick looked at Akron. You got any weapons? Akron smiled. I figured you might ask. Follow me. He led them to the hangar. The back was partitioned off for living quarters. Akron went into what passed for a living room and pulled up a faded oriental rug, exposing a trap door on the concrete floor. Give me a hand, he said. They pulled up the heavy door. A narrow ladder led below. Akron picked up a flashlight and started down. Wait there, he said, 
There isn't a lot of room down here. They heard him moving crates aside. Here you go, he said. He handed up an M16, then two more, then belts, weighted down with loaded 30-round magazines. He handed up a Colt Model 1911-45 in a leather holster. That one's for me, he said. Akron climbed up and turned off the flash. They closed the trap door and put the rug back in place. Akron gestured at the M16 Selena held. You know how to use that, sweet pea? Selena started to move toward him. Nick put his hand on her arm. Hey, Akron, he said. Yeah. Sweet pea here can shoot rings around you with one hand and kick your ass while she's doing it. So knock off the sexist bullshit, okay? Sorry, he said. He didn't look sorry. Old habit. I just wanted to know. They checked out the rifles. Clean and oiled, in good shape. They inserted the magazines. Akron belted on the holster in forty-five. Nick said, let's get going. Chapter 59 Ije's helicopter set down on a broad, flat area where the launchers would stage in time of war. A helicopter with army markings was parked to one side. Rao had radioed ahead. General Chatterjee was expecting him. The entrance to the tunnel was a 30-foot square opening carved into the side of a mountain. The complex was located in a forest of evergreens and surrounded by high snow-capped peaks. A road to the site continued past the tunnel to an ancient Hindu temple set a mile away on a green hillside. The temple was in ruins, destroyed centuries before by one of the Muslim rulers. For Rao, the ruins were one more reminder of how Islam desecrated everything he held sacred. He shook out two more of Creevy's pills and swallowed them. He felt full of energy, light, invincible. The steel doors to the tunnel stood open. Waiting just inside was the first of six mobile transporters. The camouflaged phallic shape of an Agni-3 ICBM lay flat along the trailer, waiting to be raised into position. The missile was about forty feet long and six feet around. The nose cone tapered to a rounded point and was painted black. The body of the missile was white. The Indian flag was painted on the side. Agni-3 had been designed to provide long-range counter-strike capability. It was powered by a two-stage solid-fuel rocket that drove it to a speed of over five kilometers a second. Guidance was provided by a sophisticated inertial navigation system. The 20-kiloton warhead was roughly the size of the bombs that had destroyed Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It was set to detonate five kilometers above the ground. An airburst was more destructive than a conventional impact explosion. Everything within one mile of the hypocenter would be completely destroyed. The blast wave would travel outward at nearly the speed of sound. A mile away from the center, it would have enough power to hurl a 50-ton railway car from its tracks and crush it. Two miles out, the damage would still be severe. Anyone left alive in that two-mile radius would receive a lethal dose of radiation. Islamabad had a crowded population of around two million people. One missile would obliterate the city. Hundreds of thousands of people would die in the initial blast, the radiation would leave the ground poisoned for many years. The tunnel complex was guarded by a detachment of 24 men under the command of a lieutenant. The officer approached and saluted. Four sentries in battle dress and wearing maroon berets stood by the tunnel entrance, armed with assault rifles. Secretary Rao, the general is expecting you. May I see some identification, sir? Rao showed his raw credentials. Follow me, sir. Rao glanced at Ije. They had already determined what they were going to do. They followed their escort into the tunnel. Chapter 60 Nick sat in the co-pilot's seat next to Akron. They were flying a hundred feet above the highway leading to Pahalgam, below Indian radar. Nick hoped it would be good enough to fool any anti-aircraft defenses at the tunnel. There wasn't anything he could do about them if they spotted the Huey. He felt himself slipping into pre-combat mode. He was hyper-alert, watching the countryside flash by below as they paralleled the road from Srinagar to Pahalgam. Next to him, 
Akron was in his element. He seemed younger, even happy. It was as if he'd dropped thirty years in a moment. He hummed to himself, one hand on the collective, the other tapping fingers against his leg. Back in the cargo bay, Selena and Lamont sat in the makeshift tourist seats. Selena cradled her M16 across her knees. She'd put on a pair of Ray-Bans against the wind rushing through the open cargo doors. Her lips were set in a tight line. Lamont looked relaxed, half asleep. But Nick knew it was an illusion. His rifle was propped against his body, under his arm. Nick heard Stephanie's voice over the comm link. The noise in the chopper made it difficult, even with the headphones covering his ears. Nick, you hear me? I can hear you, Steph. Cobra has landed. He's got eight men I can see, the pilot and co-pilot, too. Describe what you see. There's a wide, flat space where he landed, by the side of a mountain. That would be the staging area. There's another helicopter there, four sentries visible. Cobra's men are talking with a couple of them, or standing around nearby. Getting ready to take them out, Nick thought. What else? That's it. The tunnel entrance is to the left as you come in from the highway. A soldier came out of the mountain and met Cobra. They went inside. Any sign of the missiles? Nick asked. Not yet. Good, we've still got time. At your present rate of speed, you'll reach the target area in about 15 minutes. Is there some place near the tunnel where we can set down? We come in direct, they'll start shooting. There's one road to the site. It follows a valley to the left of the main highway. There's a field where it turns off from the highway. You could set down there. No houses. There's a guard post and gate about three miles in from the road. It's another mile to the tunnel after that. Everything else looks pretty steep. Four miles was too far on foot when time was short. What happens when the road gets to the site? There's a short entry road to the staging area to the left as you come in. I'm sending a real-time shot now. Nick's phone vibrated against his chest. He pulled it out and looked at the screen. Steph had sent a wide aerial view of the tunnel complex and the road. He saw the guard post, the staging area, and two helicopters. He could see Cobra's men and the tunnel sentries, tiny figures casting tiny shadows on the ground, unaware they were being watched. The road continued past the missiles, and ended a mile away at a structure on the side of a hill. What's that building farther on? he asked. Stephanie's voice sounded in his ear. It's a deserted temple. It used to be a tourist spot before they put the missiles in. Nick, the satellite is moving out of range. We're going to lose visual in a minute. Thanks, Steph. We're going to be busy for a while. I'll call in later. Out. He tapped Akron on the shoulder and held up the phone with the satellite photo for him to see. Here's the complex he said, pointing at the flat area. There's a sentry post here, below. Go up the valley beyond it and touch down here. Nick pointed to an area on the road, past the entrance to the complex. It couldn't be seen from the staging area. We'll jump off. You keep going toward this old temple. Make them think you're taking tourists sightseeing. You really think they'll go for that? It's worth a shot. Or do you want to try coming in on a hot LZ? Akron shrugged. Wouldn't be the first time. They were flying along the highway. Nick saw the turnoff and pointed. There's the road. Follow it up the valley. The chopper banked left. Nick hoped they'd be in time. There's a secret once hidden, a treasure the ancients used daily. It's turmeric, the golden spice of life. In the heart of ancient India, this revered root was more than a culinary delight. It was a symbol of purity, a source of wellness. Novel Nutrition brings this secret to you with our fire supplement. Each fire gummy is a nod to those ancient traditions, harnessing the natural powerful anti-inflammatory and antioxidant benefits that have supported health and vitality for centuries. Nab your supply of Novel Nutrition's fire by clicking the link in the description and using code BOOKTV for a 20% discount. Read more. Live more. Be more. Chapter 61 Inside the tunnel, 
General Nitik Chatterjee stood next to one of the massive transporters, talking with a sergeant. Chatterjee was tall for an Indian man, almost six feet. His uniform was crisp and neat. Ribbons from the last three wars with Pakistan adorned his chest. Chatterjee had been badly wounded during the Kargil War in 1999. His left hand was missing two fingers, and he was unable to use his left arm for anything except light duty. That will be all, Lieutenant, Chatterjee said. Sir. Chandra saluted and left. Hello, Nitik. It's good to see you. May I introduce Major Gupta, Rao said. Ijay saluted Chatterjee. Sir. Major? Major, please give us some privacy, Rao said to Ijay. Sir. Ijay saluted again and moved off toward a group of men working on one of the transporters. Ashok, Chatterjee said. I was surprised to get your call. Come to check up on us, eh? The two men shook hands. Let's go where we can talk in private. Certainly. Sergeant, tell Lieutenant Chandra we're not to be disturbed. Sir. The sergeant saluted and walked away. Over here, Chatterjee said. They stepped into an office with a window looking out on the missiles and transporters. Rao looked through the window. There were six units on this base, six missiles, any one of which could eliminate a major city. Rao saw three men working on one of the trucks toward the back of the tunnel. Where are the rest of your men? Rao asked. We're a bit short-handed at the moment, I'm afraid. Lieutenant Chandra informed me that three men were sent to hospital yesterday with food poisoning. Another six were rotated out. Their replacements haven't arrived yet. But you still have enough to man the missiles? Of course. It's a straightforward process. All the men are trained to position the transporters. For Rao, things had just gotten easier. I want to talk with you about Pakistan, Rao said. Lanka seems unwilling to act. Islamabad is bringing up heavy armor, artillery, and troop transports. They're getting ready to invade. The Prime Minister is a fool, Chatterjee said. We should have done something years ago about those dogs in Islamabad. Now they're barking at our door again. Yet, he still holds back. I think we need to take things into our own hands, Rao said, since Lanka will not. Surely you don't mean a coup, Chatterjee said, surprised. War's a certainty. Now isn't the time for that, even if it were possible. Even if there were enough people to go along with it, which I doubt. Not a coup, Rao said. More specific than that. Let me show you something. He took the eye of Shiva from his pocket, uncovered it, and set it on the desk. The jewel glittered with a deep red glow in the bright glare of the fluorescence overhead. Chatterjee's eyes widened in recognition. Is it? It, it can't be. It is, Rao said. The eye? You have found the eye? You remember the prophecy? Of course. Where did you get this? How? It's a long story, Naitik. A Muslim had it, a pawn of Islamabad. I took it back. Creevy's drugs coursed through Rao's veins. He felt as if his body was almost transparent. His mind was clear, his thoughts sparkles of light. He shifted on his feet and watched the general. Chatterjee stared at the sacred jewel. The divine fire, he whispered. That is why I'm here, Rao said. Chatterjee looked at him with sudden realization. You want me to send a missile against Pakistan, don't you? Think of it, Naitik. One blow, and Islamabad will trouble us no more. No more of their constant provocations, their endless attempts to subvert Jammu and Kashmir, their contempt for everything we value. They would retaliate, Chatterjee said. They won't have time, Rao said. The Agni-6 is online, as you know. You command the missile forces. We can knock out their bases before they have a chance to respond. Even if they get a few missiles into the air, our defense systems will blow them out of the sky before they land. At worst, some casualties. But Pakistan will cease to exist. Mother India will be whole again. Lanka will never authorize a first strike. You don't need his authorization. You have the codes. 
You are one of the few who can do this. There it was, the moment of truth. Rao waited to see how Chatterjee would respond. Chatterjee was a patriot. He'd given years of his life and shed his blood in the service of Mother India. He'd been brought up in a Hindu culture, taught that Pakistan and Islam were India's mortal enemies. He'd seen firsthand the results of Pakistan's treachery and ambition. Now Rao wanted him to act, to unleash the nuclear fires under his command. It was tempting. Sometimes he'd thought about it in the dark hours of the night, but he'd sworn an oath when he entered the military. In Sanskrit, the name Naitik meant one who follows the correct path. There was only one possible response to Rao's proposal. Chatterjee looked at Rao and knew this was the end of their friendship. I cannot, he said. I'm sorry. You disappoint me, Naitik, Rao said. But I understand. You are a soldier. You have a duty to obey your superiors. Chatterjee looked relieved. You do understand, he said. Good. I would hate to have anything get in the way of our friendship. I have always valued our friendship, Rao said. I always will. He took a nine-millimeter pistol from his pocket and shot Chatterjee twice in the chest, right through the rows of brightly colored campaign ribbons. The shots echoed in the hollow interior of the cavern. Chatterjee stumbled backward. He looked down in disbelief at the blood welling out through his uniform. Then he fell to the ground. His legs kicked in a final spasm, and he was still. His bowels let go. Rao stepped back in distaste from the stench. Inside the tunnel, Lieutenant Chandra and the sergeant came running out of one of the offices. What? Rao shot them. They spun and fell and died. Farther down the tunnel, E.J. raised his weapon and opened fire, cutting down the group of men he'd been chatting with. The shots were the signal to act if Chatterjee proved uncooperative. E.J.'s men were positioned by the sentries. Knives came out. The guards never had a chance. Rao turned his pistol on a man coming at him with a wrench and shot him. E.J. ran forward and let off a burst at the last two men in the detachment. It had taken less than a minute to kill everyone at the complex. E.J. ejected the spent magazine from his gun and inserted a fresh one. He wiped the metal down with a cloth he pulled from his pocket. It was important to keep your weapons clean. Quick pause in our story to remind you about novel nutrition. Enhance your reading sessions with our bespoke supplements. See if you can figure out which blend is our favorite. Oh, and just for Book TV listeners, use code BOOKTV at NovelNutrition.co for a special 20% discount. Now let's return to our story. Chapter 62 Akron kept the Huey low and fast, flying a few hundred feet above the valley floor. They followed a narrow stream toward the tunnel complex. Nick listened to the old familiar tune of the helicopter blades as the sound echoed from the mountains. Chop, 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 chop. And he was back in Afghanistan, back in the village and the brown dust and the heat, the helicopters lifting away, beating up a blinding storm of dust and grit. He signaled his Marines forward. They trailed out behind him as he moved along the deserted main street, the only street. Somewhere a baby was crying. He could smell the sour scent of his fear. He held his M4 up close to his face. The selector on three-round burst, safety off. His finger laid along the side of the receiver. He came to the market. Strips of stringy meat glistening with gristle hung in the open air of the butcher's stall. Flies buzzed in clouds around the stall, a nasty, irritating sound. Men with thick black beards rose up from a flat rooftop across the street and cut loose with AKs. The bullets shattered the flimsy market stalls, ricocheted off the walls, kicked up dirt at his feet. He ducked into a doorway and began firing at the roof. His men were shouting, firing, the noise deafening. Someone screamed in pain. 
Dozens of automatic rifles spat out their messages of death. Russian Kalashnikovs, American M4s. All the guns spoke the same language. From across the way, a young boy ran toward him, screaming about Allah. He had a grenade in his hand. He cocked his arm back to throw. A boy, no more than ten or eleven, just a child. Nick's finger paused on the trigger. The boy threw the grenade. Time slowed. Nick fired. One, two, three, the rifle kicking back against his shoulder. The first shot knocked the boy backward. The second took him in the throat. The third blew open his head like a ripe melon. Nick watched the grenade float toward him. He watched it tumbling in the air, unable to move. Then everything went white. Akron was shaking him by the shoulder. You all right, man? You don't look so good. They were in India, not Afghanistan. He'd been lost in a flashback. It hadn't happened for a while. Shit, Nick thought. How long? Yeah, I'm fine. Ahead of them, the guard post on the road was coming up. So not too long, a minute or two. Two men stood looking up at the approaching helicopter. Wave, Nick said. What? Wave. When we go over. Like we're friendly. He turned around to Lamont and Selena and yelled over the noise. Wave at the guards down there. They flew over the barrier, waving and grinning like idiots. Then the post was behind them. Keep right on like we planned, Nick said. In another minute, they came upon the staging area, off to the left and up the side of the valley. They flashed past. Nick had time to see bodies lying on the ground. Men in black with assault rifles watched them go by. Then they were around the bend in the stream and out of sight of the tunnel. Akron dropped down fast. Hot damn, he said, just like the old days, except no one's shooting at us. Not yet, Nick said. Akron brought the skids within inches of the ground and hovered. Whatever his faults, he knew how to fly. Selena and Lamont were out in seconds, weapons ready. Nick came right behind. Akron lifted away in a soaring bank and headed upstream. Anyone watching from the staging area would see the chopper reappear from the turn and head straight for the temple ruins. Think they bought it? Lamont said. I wouldn't bet on it. You see the bodies? Both Selena and Lamont nodded. Cobra must have decided to take them all out. He's probably got the general with the codes inside. The missiles aren't in position yet, Selena said. We still have some time. Not much, Nick said. The three of them studied the terrain. The land sloped up from the stream bed where they stood, toward the tunnel with the missiles. A shallow ravine ran up the side of the mountain, through a forest of evergreens. What do you think, Lamont? Up that ravine there? We're probably four or five hundred feet below where we want to be. It goes in the right direction. I'll take the point. Selena, you in the middle. Keep an interval. Lamont, you cover our six. What's the plan when we get there? Selena asked. Don't have one yet as the situation demands. If they're suspicious, they'll send scouts out to look around. Be ready for anything. For some reason, I thought this time would be different, she said. You ought to know better by now, Lamont said. Weapons free, Nick said. Three metallic clicks as the safeties went off. They set off up the side of the mountain. Rao came out of the tunnel. I heard a helicopter, he said. Ijay pointed at the green Huey flying toward the ruins. Looked like a bunch of tourists going to the temple. They were in civilian clothes except the pilot. I think he was wearing fatigues. Tourists? When war's coming and in a helicopter like that? I don't think so. I don't either, Ijay said. It's too much of a coincidence. How many? Rao asked. At least four. I saw two up front and two passengers. If they aren't tourists, we'll know soon enough. It shouldn't be a problem. Ijay walked over to one of his men. Sergeant, take Panaf and Darpak, he pointed in the direction of the temple. Go down the side of the hill and make sure no one gets by you. Sir, the sergeant called out to the two men. In a minute they were gone, out of sight in the trees. Ijay turned to Rao. Get one of those missiles out here, Rao said. Chapter 63 Selina watched Nick moving through the woods ahead of her. 
It was hot under the trees. There was no breeze. Tiny insects swarmed and bit her, drawn by her sweat. Her shirt was already soaked through. It felt strange to be doing this in civilian clothes. No boots, no armor. The last time she'd gone into a fight without armor, it hadn't worked out well. At least she was wearing jeans and her Nikes. A skirt and regular shoes would have been impossible here. She'd gotten better over time with the art of moving quietly, but she still felt clumsy compared to Nick and Lamont. They made no noise as the team worked their way up the ravine. She was careful not to dislodge any of the loose rocks in the wash. That's all she needed. Kick loose a rock and have Nick give her one of his looks of disapproval. Damn it. Why did she care so much about what he thought? Sometimes she felt like she'd never be able to equal what these men did. They had years of specialized training in warfare she could never match. On the other hand, she could whip both of them in hand-to-hand, though she wouldn't want to take both on at once. Still, she could kick Nick's butt if she had to. That thought brought a smile. They came to the end of the ravine. The land sloped up for another twenty feet and leveled out. Nick held up his hand to stop. He signaled Lamont. Go left, then up. He pointed at himself and up. I'll take the center. To Selina, he signaled right and up. He pointed at them and at his eyes, and then himself. Watch me. Follow my lead. He gestured ahead. Go slow. She began working her way to the right. The rifle cradled under her chest. The hard metal pressed against her breasts. The ground scraped her elbows. She reached a point where she could look over the edge. Nick was behind her to the left, and beyond him, Lamont. She risked a glance toward the tunnel. The staging area was fifty or sixty yards away from where they lay. She saw a dark shape move under the trees, a man walking down the slope toward the valley floor. She ducked back and looked at Nick, pointed toward the base, held up one finger, and pointed toward the stream below. One hostile moving down. He nodded, held up two fingers, pointed. Two more, she thought. She got ready to fire. There was little cover. If they were seen, they'd try to get off the first shots. Those were the ones that counted. Better if they weren't seen. Selina wished she was wearing clothes that blended in with the landscape, not blue running shoes and a pale blouse. She tried to scrunch down behind a dead limb, lying on the ground. It wouldn't stop a bullet, but at least it gave her some psychological comfort. Nick signaled. Back to the ravine. He looked at her, touched his lips. Quiet. Then he smiled. Smartass, she thought. He's like a big kid sometimes, playing war, except the bullets are real. They crawled backwards down to the ravine. She had a dry, metallic taste in her mouth, the taste of fear. Off to her right, she heard someone step on a dry branch and curse. They waited. The air was still and hot. The only sound was the whine of insects and her heart pounding in her ears. Noise shattered the silence Diesel engines starting up, big ones. There was only one possible explanation for that. Cobra was moving the missiles out of the tunnel. Chapter 64 The first of the transporters emerged from the tunnel entrance. The truck was painted in camouflage tan and brown, as if the natural colors somehow made the white body of the missile invisible. It was a big vehicle, low to the ground. The Agni-3 missile lay waiting and silent, clamped to the ramp that would raise it skyward for launch. A box-like station behind the cab housed a control board and the electronics to initiate the firing sequence. The Agni-3 had an inertial guidance system augmented by GPS, a recent upgrade that improved accuracy. Targeting was controlled on-site, the target data and launch codes were entered by the operator on a computer keyboard or by way of a pre-programmed card. It only took one man to initiate a launch if everything else was ready, unlike the two-man systems 
common in the older ICBM silos. Rao watched the first transporter move into place. A second crawled from the cavern into the sunlight. Ijay came over. It will take us another 15 minutes to bring out the others, he said. We don't need them, Rao said. These will be enough. Get them ready for lunch. We only have one man familiar with these, Ijay said. He has to tell the others what to do. It will slow things down some. Just get them ready, Rao said. There are satellites up there. We don't have a lot of time. Ijay's headset crackled. It was the sergeant he'd sent down the hill. Yes, we're down to the valley floor. No sign of anyone. Good, come back up. Stay alert. He turned to Rao. No sign of intruders. Very good, Rao said. I need to make a call. He walked to the edge of the area and called Creevy. My friend, Creevy said. He was speaking English. How are you? Your pills are wonderful, Creevy, Rao said. I feel good. I want to let you know that we are about to proceed as planned. Excellent, Creevy said. Excellent. India will always be grateful, Ashok. You will be remembered for generations. What you do today is only the beginning. Others will follow you. In Virginia, Elizabeth had just finished arguing with the Pentagon about retasking a satellite to give them visual coverage of the missile site in Kashmir with no success. Stephanie's program picked up Rao's call and put it on the office speakers. Elizabeth said, Who's Creevy? I don't know, Stephanie said, but at least Cobra is speaking English for a change. We're almost ready to launch, Rao said. Perhaps 15 minutes. Islamabad will cease to exist. Creevy was still talking, but Elizabeth wasn't listening. Shit, Elizabeth said. What are the GPS coordinates for that base? Stephanie wrote them down. I'm calling the White House. Elizabeth got up and went to her office and called Rice on his private number. The president picked up after two rings. Director. Sir, we have an emergency situation in India. Go on. There is about to be an unauthorized nuclear missile launch from Kashmir, aimed at Pakistan. My team is on site, but may not be able to stop it in time. I'm requesting a strike. We have a window of less than 15 minutes, no more. You're certain? Yes, sir, absolutely. Director, if you're wrong, we'll be in a shitload of trouble. Sir, I'm not wrong. I'm certain. Very well. There was a pause while Rice thought it through. Elizabeth realized she was holding her breath. I'm connecting us to the Pentagon, Rice said. Tell them where to go. I'll authorize the mission. Thank God for a president who's not afraid to make tough decisions, she thought. A new voice came online. Special Operations Command, General Atkins speaking. General, this is the president. Yes, sir, I recognize your identity. There is going to be a missile launch in India. I am authorizing an immediate strike. Take it out now. I have Director Harker on the line. She'll give you the target data. Yes, sir. Go ahead, Director, Rice said. General Atkins, this is Director Harker. Here are the GPS coordinates for the missile. It's nuclear. She read them off. Atkins said, Mr. President, please hold. Who's behind it? Rice said. The same man who set up the attack in Manila, Elizabeth said. He wants a war. Atkins came back on the line. We have our Reaper Q9 running hot out of Bagram over Pakistan, Atkins said. I'm diverting it to the target. Very good, General. Keep me informed. Yes, sir, will do. Well, Director, Rice said, we're committed. Better tell your people to keep their heads down. Chapter 65 Nick, Selina, and Lamont had worked their way to within 20 yards of the staging area. They watched the second transporter line up behind the first. A man dressed in a black uniform climbed onto the first unit and sat down at the operating console. He set a series of switches on a panel in front of him and then began entering commands on a keyboard. What do you want to do? Lamont said. I make it five men plus Cobra, Nick said. We take them out, starting with the guy on the truck. The ramp began to rise on the transporter. In seconds, the missile was aimed at the sky. Don't forget the three who went past us, Lamont said. Nick's ear began itching. Harker's voice sounded in Nick's headset. Nick, there's a reaper on the way. Don't get hurt. 
How soon? Soon. What's your status? There are two missiles out in the open. One's ready. It looks like there's only one guy who knows what he's doing. He's finished with the first, and now he's gone to the second to set that one up. That one is still down on the bed of the transporter. Nick, whatever happens, that missile can't launch. Yeah, I know. Wait. If the drone doesn't get there in time, stop it any way you can. Copy that. Good luck. Yeah. Nick looked at the others. You heard, Harker. We'll wait. If it looks like they're going to push the button, concentrate your fire on the guy at the console. We'd better move back some, Lamont said. They're likely going to drop a 500-pounder or two. We're too close. All right, but as long as we keep line of sight on that console. They moved back into the trees. That's far enough, Nick said. He looked at his watch. Can't be more than a few minutes now. Sudden shots splintered chips of bark from trees nearby. The three sentries had found them. Selina moved behind a tree just as bullets kicked up dirt where she'd been standing. She reached around the trunk and fired blind at the shooters. Nick and Lamont opened up. The afternoon quiet vanished in the sharp explosions of automatic weapons. Up in the staging area, Rao and Ijay heard the shooting. Rao ran over to where Ijay's man was working on the second missile. Is it ready? Not yet. The other one is. Leave this. Get over to the other. Here. Rao took the card Creevy had given him, with the codes and programming for the missile, out of his pocket. It went into a slot on the console. Once loaded into the computer, the flick of a switch would send the missile on its way. You know what this is? Yes, sir. Use it. Fire as soon as you can. He gave the card to the soldier. Hurry up. The man ran over to the transporter and climbed up onto the back, the card in his hand. Ijay signaled his men away from the launch. Rao moved to the safety of the tunnel. It wasn't a good idea to be near the tail of the missile when it ignited. Nick fired at one of the soldiers shooting at them and brought him down. He looked around and saw Ijay's man climbing into the truck. He swiveled and fired at an empty casing caught in the ejection port. The gun jammed. On the truck, the operator inserted the card and activated the firing sequence. He got up to leave the unit for cover. Nick cleared the jam, aimed, and fired, and the man fell off the truck. Seconds later, the Agni-3 came to life. Flame and smoke erupted from the base of the missile. Fire at the missile and the control panel, Nick yelled. Selena and Lamont turned. The three of them stood and emptied their magazines at the console on the missile. Nick saw holes appear in the white body. It began to rise. Nick dropped a magazine, jammed in another, and emptied it at the console with its switches and gauges. He could see fragments flying off where the bullets hit. Ijay's men were still shooting at them. A bullet plucked at Selena's sleeve. She turned and shot another man. One man still came on. She shot him, too. He fell to the ground, clutching his gut and screaming. She couldn't hear him over the roar of the rocket engine. She turned back to watch. The missile climbed toward the sky on a column of orange fire and billowing white smoke. It began to pick up speed. The noise was deafening. Too late, Nick said. We're too late. Then the missile slowed. It tilted to the side and fell back toward the launching site, the rocket engine belching flame. Jesus, Nick said. They dropped down flat. Selena covered her head with her arms. The missile hit the ground and exploded. Flaming bits and burning fuel fell back to earth in a hellish rain. Then the reaper struck with a 500-pound bomb. The explosion ripped the branches from the trees and sent them flying through the air in a lethal storm of splinters. Selena covered her ears. The shock lifted her body from the ground. A huge burning tire from one of the transporters crashed into the dirt a foot from her head and rolled away down the hillside. She lay there waiting. There were no more explosions. Slowly she stood and looked around. Everything was muffled, as though her ears were stuffed with cotton. Fires burned in a dozen places. It wouldn't be long before the forest of pines where they stood would be in flames. The staging area had been destroyed. The transporters and helicopters were twisted hulks of charred metal. A breeze brought an unpleasant odor of burning rubber. We'd better get up there before these woods go up, Nick said. They climbed the rest of the way to the top. 
The fires spread through the trees below. Small fires dotted what was left of the staging area. The bomb had left a gaping crater in the smooth surface. A body lay near the tunnel entrance, on its back, eyes staring toward the sky. The dead man's face was marked by birthmarks that looked like spots. Debris smoldered in front of the tunnel. It looked as though the interior of the complex was intact. Lamont brought his rifle up. I saw a movement in the tunnel. We have to go in, Nick said. I'll take point. They entered the cavern. Scraps of metal and smoking bits littered the first ten yards. The remaining missiles lay silent at the back of the cavernous space. There were bodies on the floor, one in the uniform of a ranking officer. It was dark inside except for light from the entrance and the window of one office. They heard someone singing to himself. They kept up against the wall and reached the office. Nick took a quick glance through the window and ducked back. It's Cobra, he said. He's sitting at a desk. He has a pistol in his hand. How do you want to do it? Lamont said. He's the only one left, Nick said. I want to try and take him alive. Ready? Without waiting, Nick stepped into the door of the office and pointed his M16 at Rao. Game's up, Rao. Put the gun on the desk and your hands behind your head. Rao swiveled in the chair, the pistol coming up as he turned, but it wasn't pointed at them. He held it in his right hand, the barrel pressed against the side of his head. In his left, he held a great red stone. For a second, Rao's face was a mask of anger. Then he smiled. Carter, he said. How did you know? We've been listening to your phone calls, Nick said. Put down the gun, slowly. Rao held up the stone. It blazed with color under the lights. Do you know what this is, he said. It's pretty, Nick said. Put down the gun. Rao laughed. It trailed off to a giggle. Selena and Lamont looked at each other. Lamont twirled his finger by his head. Pretty, Rao said. You are looking at the soul of Mother India, and all you can say is, it's pretty? Why don't you tell me about it, Nick said. I'm willing to learn, but put down the gun. Rao ignored him. I think the lady knows what I'm holding, don't you, Dr. Connor? You know who I am, Selina said. Of course, and Mr. Cameron, a.k.a. Shadow. Unfortunate about Sergeant Pete, wasn't it? Did you know he died this morning? You son of a bitch, Nick said. Selina knew he was going to shoot. Wait, Nick, she said. He's lying. Elizabeth would have told us. Maybe. But he relaxed just enough. So, Dr. Connor, Rao held up the jewel. If I'm right... It's a jewel called the Eye of Shiva, Selina said. No one has seen it for centuries. Very good, Rao said. Dr. Connor, are you an honorable person? What do you mean? He's nuts, Nick thought. I should shoot him. He watched Rao's gun. Are you honorable? Do you keep your word? I believe in keeping my word. I guess that makes me honorable. If you give me your word about something, I will put down the gun. What is it? I want you to take the eye back to where it belongs, to the Temple of Shiva off the Peshwa Road in New Delhi. Anyone can tell you where it is. Give me your word that you will give it to the priests there. They'll know what to do. If I give you my word, you'll put down the gun? I will. All right, Selina said. You have my word. I'll take the eye back to the temple. Rao sighed. I would have liked so much to bring it myself. Not much chance of that now. He leaned forward. The gun never wavered from his head. Rao slid the jewel across the desk. Pick it up, he said to Selina. Careful, Rao, Nick said. His M16 was aimed at Rao's head, his finger on the trigger. I'll shoot if you blink wrong. Rao smiled again. Selina moved forward, keeping out of Nick's line of fire, and took the stone. It felt cool. The jewel was heavy in her hand. She stepped away from the desk. Islamabad would have been destroyed, Rao said. Put down the gun, Nick said. I won't tell you again. I miss Lakshmi, Rao said. His eyes looked sad. Then he smiled. It's not over. He pulled the trigger. The side of his head blew out in a geyser of blood and tissue. 
The body slammed back and fell from the chair. Shit, Nick said. He lowered his rifle. What did he mean it's not over? Who's Lakshmi? Selina asked. I don't know, Nick said. Let's get out of here before the whole Indian army shows up. I hear a helicopter, Lamont said. Might be too late. They ran outside. The forest was burning all along the side of the mountain. Thick clouds of brown and black smoke billowed upward. Tongues of red and orange flame leapt high into the air. The heat was intense. Pieces of metal wreckage lay scattered in every direction. The crumpled black nose cone from the missile lay in the path of the advancing fire. How come it didn't go off? Selina said. She gestured at the warhead. It was probably set for an altitude burst, Nick said. There's a firing sequence that has to happen or it won't detonate. It's the way they're designed, a way to keep them safe. Safe? Who are they kidding? Lucky for us, she said. Akron's Huey circled in and sat down near the edge of the crater. They ran to it and climbed in. Seconds later, they were airborne. Nick settled into the co-pilot seat. Figured you might want to get out of Dodge, Akron said. You got that right. You don't mess around, do you? You should have seen that from over there by those ruins. Biggest Roman candle I've ever seen. If I had that on film, I could sell tickets. Yeah, take us back to Srinagar. I got a feeling it might be better if we took the long way around, Akron said. Might get a little bumpy. Just get us back without getting shot down, Nick said. Roger Dodger, Captain. They lifted off in a steep bank. Nick grabbed for whatever he could find. Lamont uttered a string of obscenities in the bay behind him. Akron headed away from Srinagar. Where are you going? Nick said. The city's that way. So is the Indian Air Force. Trust me. Akron flew at 50 feet above the highway for a few minutes. Then he banked to the right and flew into a narrow canyon that disappeared into the mountains. The walls of the canyon seemed inches away from the spinning blades. Akron was whistling as he flew, twisting and turning along the torturous route of a river below. It would be almost impossible for the Indians to find them here unless they knew where to look. Akron looked over at Nick. Yes, sir, you folks put on quite a show, he said. The chopper came close to the canyon wall. You mind watching where you're going, Nick said. Akron looked hurt. Nick called Harker. Director, we're on our way back. What happened? Rao shot himself. We brought down the missile, but it was a close thing. The launch site is unusable, and there's a hell of a fire burning. Rao had this big ruby. He made Selina promise to take it back where it came from. The Eye of Shiva. Elizabeth said. Right. Where are you? On the way back to Srinagar? The Indians are kicking all foreign journalists out of Kashmir, Elizabeth said. You qualify as a documentary crew making films. The plane has been released, along with your passports. Get back and get out of there. Nick remembered what Rao had said. He had to know. How's Ronnie doing? No change. Nick took a deep breath. Nick, that jewel is important. It has to go to the government. You can't take it back. Nick looked back at Selena. She was watching him, listening to the conversation. They all had ears on the link. Why not? Nick asked. It's a national treasure. Bring it home and we'll return it with proper diplomatic protocols. What? Nick said. You're breaking up. He made rasping noises. I said. Nick made crackling and hissing sounds. Up. Can't. What? Say. He ended the conversation and turned back towards Selena. She smiled at him, and his heart missed a beat. Her violet eyes were bloodshot. Her face was scratched and streaked with sweat and dirt. Nick thought she'd never looked more beautiful. Thanks, she said. You're welcome. The adrenaline surge was long gone. Nick was exhausted. The journey back to Srinagar passed in a blur. Once, they saw a flight of six military helicopters go past in the distance, headed for the missile complex. At the hangar, they gave Akron back his guns. Thanks, Nick said. You did a good job with that bird. Akron said, wouldn't have missed that for anything. I haven't had that much fun in a long time, but I admit it could have turned out different. Tells me it's time to pack it in. I'm going back to the States. What about this? Nick gestured at the Huey, the hangar. Doesn't matter, Akron said. It's mostly junk. 
My guess is the Indians are going to figure out that it was my bird out there. I don't want to be around when they do. I'm out of here. He turned to Selena. Sorry I got you mad at me, sweet pea. He grinned at her and walked away. What an ass, she said. Yeah, but at least he's a consistent ass, Nick said. Chapter 66 They drove to the airport and were cleared to leave Kashmir. The eye was concealed with the guns in the camera equipment. Nick waited until they were in the air, and Srinagar was receding below, before he asked Selena what she was going to do. What would you do, she said. You heard what Harker said. Turn it in. There must be a national museum for antiquities. That's where it belongs. I gave my word. To a dead man who tried to get us all killed. And then there's Ronnie. That's a cheap shot, Selena said. You know damn well I haven't forgotten Cobra was responsible for what happened in Manila. You're right. Sorry. I didn't mean it to come across like that. I gave my word, Selena said again. It's a historic treasure, Nick said. It's priceless. How long do you think it will last if those priests put it back on display? That's not my problem, Selena said. Besides, if you didn't think it was the right thing, why did you tell Elizabeth you couldn't understand what she was saying? Because I wanted to give you the choice. Like you said, you gave your word. Did you tell the pilot we're going to New Delhi? Nick sighed. Yes. I thought you might be stubborn about it, but I think it's a mistake. Nick looked out the window. They were already in the approach pattern for New Delhi. They got a cab at the airport and went to the temple. A Hindu man gave them a disapproving look as they stood by the entrance. Three foreigners. We have to take our shoes off, Selena said. She pointed at a stone shelf by the temple entrance. They placed their shoes on the shelf and entered the temple. Inside it was cool and dim, the air heavy with powerful incense. Lamont looked up at the high ceiling and then at the fierce statue of Shiva. I wouldn't want to mess with that guy, he said. His voice was quiet. The head priest stood motionless in front of the statue, watching them. He was old. It was hard to say how many years he was carrying. His face was like the weathered side of a mountain. He wore an orange robe and had a red dot painted on the center of his forehead. I think he's waiting for us, Selina said. How could he be? He couldn't know we were coming. Selina said, wait here. Selina stopped in front of the priest, steepled her hands together and made a slight bow. Namaste, she said. He returned the gesture. Namaste. His voice was soft, deep. Selina sensed hidden depth in it. I have something for you, she said in Hindi. The priest showed no surprise. I know, he said. You are an honorable woman. How did he know about that, she thought. She withdrew the jewel from her pocket. It felt hot in her hands. She held it out to him. Ah, the priest said, thank you. There was a sudden smell of jasmine in the air. The priest took the stone and looked at her. Perhaps you don't believe in karma, he said. No matter. He bowed and turned away. He went through a beaded doorway. That was weird she thought. Chapter 67 The next day they were back in Virginia, meeting in Harker's office. Nick was jet-lagged and bone-tired. Ronnie is going to be okay, Elizabeth said. He's already complaining about the food. I talked with his doctor this morning. The good-looking one, Fairchild, Nick said. Good-looking? Selena raised an eyebrow. For a doctor... Nick said. Competent looking, you know. No, I don't know. Elizabeth cleared her throat. I thought we'd go over there later. Before that, there are a couple of things we need to talk about. One good thing that came out of all of this is that it was a wake-up call for India and Pakistan. Rows near miss scared the hell out of them. They were within minutes of annihilating each other, and they realize it. China is brokering a peace conference. They're meeting tomorrow in Beijing, and the armies have pulled back from the border. So, that genie is back in the bottle. At least for now. Cobra was crazy, Lamont said. You should have seen him. But he's out of the picture now. Stephanie said, 
There were more people involved in this plot than Rao. One of them is another agent at Raw named Kana. He's under arrest. The problem is that we don't know who else. I may have identified one of them, but even if I'm right, there's no proof, nothing we can act on. Who is it? Nick said. Rao made a call to someone named Creevy right before he attempted to launch. I traced it back to Geneva. Switzerland? Who's Creevy? I think it's a man named Creevy Das. He owns a pharmaceutical company based in Zurich with manufacturing facilities in Switzerland and Mumbai. It's a big company with sales worldwide. Das is one of the world's richest men, worth billions. Rao thanked him for his pills. I'm pretty certain he's the one Rao was talking with. There's more, Elizabeth said. The nose cone and guidance computer on that missile were recovered, mostly intact. We saw it lying on the side of the hill, Nick said. The Indians were able to recover the data on the computer. The missile wasn't headed for Pakistan. It wasn't? Where was it going? China. It was targeted on Chengdu. Holy shit, Lamont said. Exactly, Elizabeth said. A missile hitting China would have provoked retaliation against India. It would have meant nuclear war on the subcontinent and the Chinese mainland. That doesn't make sense, Selena said. Rao wanting to nuke Pakistan makes sense. He thought Islamabad was responsible for the death of his family. But why China? We don't know why, Elizabeth said. Then there's the question of how the missile was launched. The computer shows that the targeting coordinates and go codes came from a pre-programmed card. The commanders on site didn't have anything like that. Someone had to give it to Rao. Rao said Islamabad would have been destroyed, Nick said, right before he pulled the trigger. He thought that missile was going to Pakistan. Then he said, it's not over. It's not over? You're sure? That's what he said. Elizabeth picked up her pen and began tapping it on the desk. Rao planned this operation with Creevy, she said. At least that's how it sounded during that phone conversation. Creevy was pleased when he learned that Rao was going to launch. He has to be one cold son of a bitch if he can be pleased at the prospect of nuclear war and all the death and destruction that would bring. Not on Switzerland, though, Nick said. No, not on Switzerland. Nick said, people in Creevy's league don't do things like this on their own. There are too many links. Anything that affects big profits worldwide would be planned in consultation with others as rich as he is. That's a small club, Stephanie said. We've seen something like this before, Elizabeth said. They all looked at her. Eon, she said. I thought we'd finished with them, Nick said. So did I, but now I'm beginning to wonder. We'll watch Creevy, Stephanie said, but there isn't anything else we can do without more information. Elizabeth said, we all need a break. You three need sleep. Let's go see Ronnie and we'll think about this tomorrow. Chapter 68 The restaurant was new and good and still undiscovered. Nick and Selena sat where they could watch the entrance. Selena had picked up Nick's habit of never having your back to the door. They'd rearranged chairs so they could face out to the waiter's disapproval. Nick ordered a bottle of silver oak. Remember when you brought out a bottle of this in California? He said. Right before we ended up in that mine. With the spiders and rats. This is a lot nicer, she said. She gestured at the dimly lit room. The tables were set with crisp white linen. The silverware was heavy, the plates of good china. The glassware was leaded crystal. Soft music played in the background. Once the word got out, it would be filled with self-important people wheeling and dealing. For now, it was just a pleasant place to have a good meal and a glass of wine. Ronnie looked a lot better, she said. He'll be fine. It will be a while before he's ready to get back in the field, though. He was circling the drain. It doesn't get any closer than that. He could decide not to go back. That would be bad for the team, Nick said. Might be good for him, though. The waiter brought the wine and poured. He took their order. When he was gone, Nick said, I was thinking. About what? Us. What about us? I think we should go back to that jewelry store, and as many others as you want, if you don't see what you like there. She hadn't been expecting that. What if it doesn't work out? 
Us. Then it doesn't. But we won't know unless we give it a shot. It will be different if we get married, Selena said. It could be better. Or not. We get on each other's nerves. Yeah, but then it's okay again. Isn't that how it works? She sipped from her glass. I suppose so. Nick studied his glass, looked up. You don't want to do it. Honestly? I do. But I'm afraid it will change things in a way we don't like. We spend almost all of our time together anyway. Yes, but it's not the same. He picked up the bottle of wine and topped off their glasses. I wasn't thinking about anything except how much I wanted you when I asked you. Then later it seemed like you were having your own doubts. It's why I put off getting a ring. I was having doubts, she said. Do you still have them? I'll probably always have them. The food came. They stopped talking until the waiter had left. She looked at him. I love him, she thought. He's not going to keep asking forever. You'll never know if you don't try for it. All right, she said. All right what? Let's look for a ring. As we close today's captivating episode on Book TV, don't forget to check out Novel Nutrition. Tailored for book lovers, our supplements are designed to complement your reading lifestyle. Use code BOOKTV for a 20% discount on your first order at novelnutrition.co. Enhance your reading experience with Novel Nutrition and don't forget that every purchase helps support an author.